Alright everybody, I hope, uh, I hope everybody had a fantastic Christmas, um, and a safe and a happy Christmas, um, or Hanukkah or whatever it is that you celebrate, I hope it was good for you. Um, as I expected, I don't have too many questions this week, I didn't honestly expect to have too many, uh, so I th thought what I would do, since this is the last Friday of this year, um, just kind of do a brief, maybe rundown of the year. There's, there was one or two questions I'll answer off the top and maybe we can just do kind of a brief year round run around, rundown, I'm so sorry. And then, uh, kind of talk about what I think 2020 is going to have in store for us and what I'm thinking about the stuff that I own and what I kind of expect to have happen or hope to have happen and. I guess maybe we can revisit this at the end of next year and <laughs> see if any of that came true. So um, we've got a couple of questions on the GSEs, and I don't really expect to hear anything uh, regarding Fannie or Freddie at all um, until uh, until after the Supreme Court, anywhere around the 13th to the 15th of January, uh, lets us know if they're going to take the case or not. I really would not expect to hear any news significant uh, before then or after then. Unless, you know, I guess the only thing that could be maybe Sweeney comes out with their decision. Um, or, you know, something happens in the Sweeney court or something happens in the Lambeth court, you know. But given the holidays and, I don't know, I just kind of think everything's on pause until the Supreme Court decides what they're going to do. And then should they take the case, I think seeing things uh, maybe start going into a little bit of hyperdrive. Uh, as the expectations for that are going to be uh, pretty, pretty high. Um, uh, I got several questions about TPL. As you know, everyone knows, TPL uh, extended the date for their committee to um, decide whether or not they're going to convert to a C-Corp. On uh, their last update, uh, they indicated that it was likely that was going to happen, that there's going to be some sort of corporate structural change. Um, so I think that's good. I think that's something we're looking for. Um, I'm guessing that with the holidays and stuff like that, people's schedules and other things going on, they just probably couldn't have the number of meetings they wanted to have. So they figured they'd recampaign after the first of the year, give themselves another 30 days to get their act together, and then come out with their decision. So, and honestly, waiting another month at this point isn't really a big deal. Um, you know, I, it's, I think it's going to be a big winner based on what I'm seeing. Um, so let's kind of review the year real quick. And kind of talk about it. Um, so I went through the holdings page. And so right now we're at about 29% year-to-date return. Excluding dividends and sales. No, I'm sorry. Excluding dividends and sales. Um, we're at about 29% this year. and uh, Which is about in line with the S&P. But if you include what we sold this year. Uh, we averaged about 68% gains on whatever we sold this year. Uh, for instance, we sold FDC when it got bought out. Uh, we realized gains on that of uh, 80%, 140%, and 119%. And we sold our Bank of America warrants for a 270% gain. Uh, we lost 48% on C-Change. Uh, and then PHA, PHA, which later changed to ESI, uh, we had a few purchases of that. Uh, we had gains of 
just about 1%, 23%, and 59%. And then we sold our Fannie Mae S convertibles. I'm sorry, preferred shares uh, for gains of 166, 152%. And then we sold some of the common when we did that conversion and bought more preferred for a gain of 43%. And then we, we lost on GE. We had two buys of GE. We lost 50%, one and 33% on the other. So if you figure it all out, and we always assume equal equal weightings of everything bought and sold so that there's no portfolio bias. And I don't want to have, um, and I've always said this on day one, I don't want to put percentage holdings on things because, you know, two people's situation could, could be completely different. And putting uh, too much of one's wealth into a certain stock at a certain age could be catastrophic. Uh, so I don't do that. So everything we do is we assume equal weighted, equal weighted holdings. Um, so that means we averaged about 68% on our um, our sales. If you add in our dividends, we're at about a 40, 43% annual gain this year, which easily beats the S&P. Uh, and to be honest, um, that gain is without some of our uh, larger holdings doing very well. Um, you know, Chesapeake, we've, we've made several buys in Chesapeake. Um, and that hasn't done very well. And, uh, you know, VPG has gone down. Leopard Equator is up a little bit. Uh, the preferred shares we bought after we sold the other ones, you know, they're down. They've all kind of suffered. You know, Innovative but Industrial pop Properties obviously is a, a huge winner for us. Um, you know, we bought it at 38. It's at 75 and changed now. We've also captured $3 in dividends. So that's been a solid winner for us. You know, the... KMI and, and Williams, they've, you know, they've, they've trudged along, not doing spectacular this year, but, but not doing poorly. I mean, actually, Kinder Morgan's up about 30% year-to-date. Williams is up around 5 So, you know, they've done well, and, and they're nice because they're also pumping out about 5 6% a year in dividends for us right now. Um, our DTO is short, which is being long oil. Uh, that's done well. That's up about 50% this year. I remember last year we got killed at the end of the year on oil. So a lot of these oil names are, are rebounding from last December. You know, AIG has been, you know, kind of waffling around. Um, you know, Apple's been fantastic for us this year. Uh, Seritage has been decent. Callaway's been good. Um, HHC, you know, it's on, it's done decent this year. A lot of this stuff got killed in the last year, so this year's gains are coming off that. But even still, you know, Bank of America's up forty percent this year for us, so it was a solid year. Uh, some of our older holdings did really well, and and that's sort of the kind of the thing, you know, when you're doing value investing, it, it's very rare to catch the bottom, right? You know, usually if you buy a value stock, you're looking at a couple years. So some of the things you're buying. You know, in August, September, October, November, December of a given year, aren't going to typically be very large contributors to your bottom line because, you know, they're they're going through whatever process they're going to to come out on the other side significantly higher share prices. So, you know, while some of these things we bought this year haven't been huge contributors, uh, I didn't really expect them to be. Um, I expect them to be larger contributors next year. Um. As uh, whatever happens to them needs to happen to uh, make their share prices rise. So, you know, so some of our older names are some of the big winners this year. And, and that's okay. 
that's why you know you you buy something and you hold it till its value is realized. The reason some of these stock prices are going up is because they keep doing very well and having fantastic results. Um, so until that changes, you know we continue to hold them. So all in all, um, you know I'm I'm very happy with the performance this year. I mean if you can do 45 percent in a year and including your sales and your holdings and your dividends. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fantastic year. So I'm, uh, I'm happy with that. And I'm really, I'm, I'm very, very, very excited. I'm so excited. I got to say it three times, uh, about how we're situated for 2020. Um, I think, and I become more convinced of this every day as data keeps coming in. And I, I keep reading things about the energy sector that 2020 is going to be a huge year for the energy sector. And I think some of the names we have are poised for very big years. Um, you know, I just posted yesterday the website. We, we don't have enough pipelines. We have a serious pollution problem in the Permian Basin because of all the natural gas being flared. Um, and, you know, for those of you who don't know, you drill, for, you frack for oil, you bring oil up, natural gas is a byproduct of that process. Um, if, if, if producers can't ship it, um, then they just flare it. So that's when you see like the oil fields, you see those little flames coming up, that's natural gas just being burned off. And acid, obviously that produces methane. You do a lot of that, it's not good for the environment. So we desperately need more pipelines. So if you look at our holdings, Kinder Morgan and, and Williams, you know, they have years of solid growth ahead of them in the pipeline at a very attractive prices. I mean, you know, these, these producers are fighting for pipeline space and fighting to get product out of these fields uh, because when they flare natural gas, they make no money off it whatsoever. You know, if they could get a pipeline out there, capture it, put it in a pipeline, well, now they're selling it and making money off it. So pipelines are in desperate need. The Northeast desperately, desperately needs pipelines. Um, and you could go across the country uh, with the demand for natural gas surging, the demand for liquefied natural gas surging, and production surging, you need infrastructure to transportate that. It's very, it's just simple math. You can't produce more of something and need more end users of that same thing and continue to um, transport that over an existing network that's maxed out. You have to have more pipelines. They have to be there. So, you know, I think... Uh, the current administration has done an amazing job in trying to exploit a lot of these um, projects. Uh, and a lot of them have done really well. You know, Kinder Morgan's got two billion cubic feet. You know, they opened day one, completely sold out, 15-year contracts. They are racing to get another one in, and they've got a third coming in later next year. Um, and all these projects, you know, are being built, fully contracted, about 10 to 15-year average contract. So, you know, it's like, it's like, it's literally like building a toll road highway and having the max number of cars on it every day for the next 10 years. You, you clean up. So, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about those prospects and I still maintain and we've start, we're starting to see this right now. Uh, we've seen it probably since end of the summer, beginning of the fall. I think the market of the mood is finally starting to realize that oil is significant, oil supplies are significantly below the five-year average in the U.S. And that's despite us producing at a record rate. Demand for oil is strong. Demand for oil products is strong. 
It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And oil producers, and I've said this on previous podcasts, have found Jesus in cash flow. They are no longer pumping oil and losing money at it just to sell it uh, if the wells aren't there. They're waiting for pricing to put in new wells. That is not going to build a supply of oil. Globally, demand for oil is rising. Globally, demand for natural gas is rising at a significant rate. Demand for LNG is, is really growing fast. And when you have supply bottlenecks due to shipping issues, you could see significantly higher prices. I think people were excessively worried about the U.S. economy in the summer. And I think the fall numbers have come out and earnings came out in Q3 and did what they've done the last year and a half, two years, just continued to beat estimates and, and, and surprise to the upside, have been strong across the board. I think people were worried about Europe for a while, but Europe seems to have rebounded. You know, no expansion goes up in a straight line. There's always quarters where things slow down. You've had multi-year expansions in the 80s when we had several quarters that were negative growth. It happens for a variety of reasons. But you get the, you know, the recession jumpers come out of the woodwork as soon as it happens. And, uh, you know, people get scared. But there's nothing, there's not a single indicator that we here follow that indicates anything to us but a continually expanding economy. Now, you can argue about how fast it's going to expand. Okay, fine. Job openings are up. Housing is staging a significant rebound. And the house home builders are saying 2020 is going to be a major year for them. And a lot of this is due to the, the, the relax, relaxation of some of the Dodd-Frank uh, regulations that work onerous and stifling for the housing market and the banks. If you get a moderately better year in housing, 2020 could be a spectacular year. Housing touches everything. It touches almost every single corner of the market. And if housing rebounds strong, Things are going to look really good next year. Auto sales are stabilized. Job openings are expanding again. Temp help expanding. Temp help is a great forerunner for employment. If temp help temp help is rising, you're going to see a rising employment numbers about six months later. If temp help starts cratering, six months later you start to see lousy employment numbers. Go back and look at it. Go look at the Fed charts at the St. Louis Fed. It's about a six month lead time. No, obviously, temp help, you know, it's, it's measured weekly and there's, you know, week-to-week variations, but you have to look at the trend. And the trend is pretty obvious in temp help. It tends to just slowly roll over and head down. And about six months later, you start to see the general employment level in the economy, in the economy slow down. But we're seeing that back on the rise again. After a brief pause over the summer. Truck tonnage is up. Meaning truckers are shipping more than ever. Just go across. Now any 
any anything I hear about recession is people try and scare you about the repo market or, you know, uh, student loan debt or this or that. It's nothing based on actual data. It's all, well, this could happen. Well, right, but it also could not happen. I mean, you, you can make any scenario you want and say, if this happens, it's going to be bad. Well, okay, well, so what? I could walk out my door and get hit by a bus tomorrow. That would be bad. Is it likely? No. Is it probable? No. But yeah, it could happen, and it would be bad if it happened. But that doesn't mean anything. It's the same thing with a lot of people that are trying to scare the shit out of you using these arcane financial things. It's 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 that's not it's it's not it's not there. If you look at the data, it's good. Bank balance sheets, probably the strongest they've ever been. The consumer balance sheet, it's probably the strongest it's been in four or five decades. Credit card debt, right about where it's always been. And you need to be careful because they always say record high credit card debt. Well, sure. If 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 the credit card balances of Americans stay the same every year, it's going to be a record level because there's more Americans every year. It's, that's just that again. That's that's when people do things like that is sloppy reporting, right? If everyone has five thousand dollars of credit card debt and we grow the population at one to two percent a year, you have a three hundred thirty million dollar population. You're going to have more credit card debt next year and the year after. That doesn't mean the consumers out there spending wildly and credit card debt. It means there's more people. So, you know, it, it's one, you know, people can make numbers, you know, they can report a number that's accurate, but put kind of a slightly dishonest twist on it for a snatchy headline and, and page views and clicks uh, to try and scare people because nothing sells like fear. So just, you know, when you see stuff like that, just be careful. We have an election 2020. That always jerks the market around a little bit. Uh, we'll have to see where we are, see the market's reaction after it. But that's honestly, a November election at this point is a lifetime away. If the last three or four or five elections have taught us anything, um, you know, <laughs> things can change in a matter of months and weeks. Um, you know, or or not for the financial crisis and the way McCain handled it. And in 2008, he would have been president. He was well ahead of Barack Obama in the polls. Um, but he just looked confused and scared and like he didn't know what he was doing uh, during that. And the party in power takes the blame. Republicans took the blame in September 2008 when Fannie and Freddie got seized and people got scared. And he won. Changed history. Donald Trump was a double-digit double underdog couple years ago look what happened so you know we don't know what's going to happen with the elections um, but I don't think you can have it with any kind of, I mean look at even look at Liz Warren right she she came out of the gate strong so did Camilla Harris came out of the gate strong and they're both stumbling around now Liz Warren's donations are plummeting I'm guessing because a lot of that money's going to go to Bloomberg whether he runs or not who knows but I'm guessing people are withholding money from Liz Warren to see what Bloomberg's going to do. So elections can change and 
we're, 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 you know, just under 11 months away, and that is a lifetime in politics. Uh, a lot can happen between now and then. Um, we're just even talking just about scandals and global conflict or anything like that. So don't place any bets. I wouldn't place any bets. I am not going to place any bets right now based on what I think the returns are going to be after next year's election because um, there's, there's no predicting anything right now. And I don't care what anybody says. Um, the, there's only one predictor I've seen that held up. Um, if the economy is not in a recession, the party in power retains the White House. When the economy goes into when the economy is in a recession during election time, party in power loses, and I believe that holds one hundred percent. So we'll we'll see what happens this time. But so you know, I think twenty twenty is going to be a good year. I'm really excited. Where I think. Obviously, we were really, really early on the energy trade, but I mean, it hasn't been like it's killed us. You know, we've, you know, if we look at it, you know, we're still up. Of all, all of our Kinder Morgan buys, we're all up 20, 30, 40, 50%. Um, that includes dividends. Uh, Williams, we're up 30% most of our purchases. DTO, we've we're at one hundred and twenty-five percent gain there, and if oil does a quick spike, well, we'll uh, we'll multiply those even more. Um, obviously, Chesapeake's killed us. TPL, you know, we're down. What are we down on that? We're up. I'm sorry, we're up one point five. Oh, what are we? Hold on. Yeah, we're up one and a half percent in that. So I, you know. It, it's it's been you know we're still we're still profitable highly profitable in the energy trade. Um, I think the frustrating part about the energy trade has been that we can see there's so much more upside. You know when you have C Corp pipeline operators with a six percent dividend yield, you know that should be around three or four, which implies significantly higher stock prices. And you know you're just kind of sitting here waiting for it, but you know we're up solidly in these purchases and these things. You know, I'm I'm happy to wait and collect those dividends over the next couple of years while it goes up, and hopefully 2020 happens. So I mean, we'll see what happens, but I have a feeling that, and this is just based on, you know, the the data I'm continuing continuing to see is supports my thesis in the energy sector. Um, the collapse in capex in the energy sector means that, you know, when oil prices rise, you're not going to see production come flooding in which means you're going to have increasing prices. You know, you're not going to have the outstanding production growth people think they're going to have to capture higher prices. And I think the producers aren't going to be in any hurry to, to increase demand. They're going to be perfectly happy to capture those excess cash flows. And I, I think that's going to lead to even higher oil prices. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see if that bears out, but I am starting to notice more and more commentary out there, sort of coming in at a on a on a similar vein. Whereas instead of talking about this glutton oil, I'm seeing more and more articles and more and more people talking about the risk of higher oil prices and the risk of an oil spike in prices, and that's a significant 
um, psychological change that's starting to happen out there in the market. And I think if that continues, the obvious reaction to that is to what? Well, to buy energy energy stocks, right? Because if people think we're going to have an energy price spike or, you know, the supply of oil, the, the growth of oil production is going to stagnate, but the demand is going to continue to rise, it means you can have lower inventories, higher prices. The reaction to that is to buy energy stocks, right? To capture that, that change in dynamic. And if that happens, then a significant part of our portfolio does very, very well. Does very well. And I'll make 2020 a another good year so I mean I hope 2020's matches you know I I don't think it's likely to do <laughs> I don't think you're ever likely to do you know that every year but you know if we have another strong market if energy clicks we could see um, we could see something pretty special happen this year so I'm excited for it um, I think it's I think I think um, I'm sorry I had a little technical glitch there. I don't know what happened, but, um, I think, um, I think given where we are with energy and my, I think, and I think we're, I still think we're likely to have higher rather than lower energy prices next year, which is good. I think where we are with the GSEs and the timing of some things that could happen with them, it could be, you know, spectacular gains. I like our other holdings, you know, Howard Hughes has Bill Ackman getting involved at a, an increasingly higher level. That's always uh, interesting to see what he's going to do. And I like, you know, I like, I like Bank of America. If 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 the home builders are right, and twenty twenty becomes this boom year for housing, well, Bank of America is tied to the U.S. levered to U.S. housing, and they're going to have a banner year if that happens. So you know, I like where we are. Um, I like our holdings, and I think that there are several events. Uh, that could happen for a huge percentage of it next year. That could really lead to some exciting stuff happening for us. So that's where I am. Um, I hope everyone has a fantastic New Year's. And please be safe. It's I always say it's Amersham night out there on New Year's. So I tend to almost always stay home and <laughs> and stay alive and get up and watch the bowl games the next day. So I hope everyone has a fantastic New Year's. And uh, we will talk again after the first.